0: Let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby
1: listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. It's time for another Bondzilla commentary here uh, in the month of December, which you could be listening to in December or you could be listening to it later, maybe after you get the Godzilla Criterion uh, collection, show collection for uh, Christmas or something. I I don't know.
0: Anyways, I'm Nick. I'm Will. Are you you saying that we are um, broadcasting into the future right now? Is that what's going on?
1: I mean that is that is the nature of podcasting. We've made this joke before but but podcasting is evergreen, you know. And unless you take all the episodes down and then it's not evergreen anymore. But yeah. we don't plan on doing that. So yeah. you can listen to it right now the day it comes out or you can listen yeah. to it next year sometime. We
0: we are we are we are uh, also announcing our uh f- our um no well, this is a big announcement Nick. Our big podcast releasing model that uh we will be releasing podcasts in theaters and on the RSS feed at the same time.
1: And on Premiere. Yeah, yeah. Premiere Access yeah. on Disney+. Uh, there
0: have been a couple creatives who have been a little bit upset about this choice. Uh, Denis Villeneuve, who is a uh, massive fan of the Bonzilla podcast, uh, is, is quite unhappy with this decision that um, that we are going streaming and theatrical at the same time. But, you know, it's just, you know, with the changing times, we just feel like that's just what we need to do.
1: Hey Danny Vanella can can be as upset as he wants
0: <laughs> oh man but um, but this will be fun i I thought the last one uh went very well and was and was a lot of fun and 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 it's funny because we're about to record a commentary, and uh as I pulled up the menu for this film, there are actually some commentaries. Uh, on uh, this DVD or this Blu-ray, so I, I may dive into that after after this one. But um, mm-hmm. th- this is the one that everybody wants to listen to. I know that there's probably like historians, maybe some people behind the scenes and that other commentary. But th- this is what the this is what the people really want. I think.
1: Yeah, it's what they it's what they desire. They want two niche podcasters going on about their personal opinion and their analysis. I mean, and and. We're experts in our own right, Will. That's what we truly are.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what what is an expert, anyway? Like,
1: That's the question that I think most people ask in this day and
0: age. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, what is, like, a true expert? Is a true expert, like, if you were to say, like, if you had to define an expert, is it somebody who just has, like, the, me- the memorization down? Because that's how I would maybe, like, do it. Like, somebody who has, like, a very, like... Sherlock just- Holmes type memory and can really like. Um, it, it's funny because I always think of expert as like a very analytical position. Like you can, like, it, they're basically a human library. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at the same time, but that's not necessarily the same thing as like practical use of knowledge as well. An,
1: an expert is the person who has the aura that they can just pull the knowledge out.
0: So an asshole.
1: I mean. <laughs> Some... <laughs> well, or is it you... or is it
0: like is it like that one thing about like the parallelograms and the squares where it's like not every expert not every asshole is an expert but every expert's an asshole I mean, <laughs> or or vice versa <laughs>
1: well Will, would you call me a disney expert
0: um hmm that's a good question i usually introduce you as an aficionado Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like I would have to really quiz you on if you were an expert.
1: But as aficionado, it's like you know, it's just. I also don't real- think,
0: and I also don't think you have it. Like I, to my knowledge, I, I've lived with you, and I, I don't, I, I don't recall you having any scrolls. I feel like you need to have scrolls to be an expert.
1: <laughs> I I don't have any scrolls. I don't have any scrolls. <laughs> um,
0: I mean, I, mean, I, I guess. guess I
1: technically. I probably honestly do have a scroll somewhere. Maybe not like a maybe it is a Disney. I feel like I do have like a scroll even if it's not like an actual scroll but it's like in the style of a scroll right. something like that. I, I feel just like I do. Like
0: if, if I would have a problem if somebody called me like a Marvel Comics expert only because I know that there are people who would be like who would be able to like name the dates and like the the writer and the artists on, like, a Silver Age comic book, like, at the top of their head. Like, I can't call myself an expert if somebody's able to do that, and I can't, is basically what I'm getting at.
1: Those are the assholes we were just talking about. If if you said, like, if you said, oh, I'm a Marvel comics expert, and then they're like, what... (laughs) What happened to She-Hulk in Avengers number 275?
0: Yeah, and was it John Romita Jr. or Senior who who drew it? Like which one? <laughs> like those are the assholes we we're just talking about. Fair, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but 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 to be honest, like I mean like there is a level. It depends if you are a guy who corrects me and challenges me on it, then you're an expert who may be an asshole. But if you are just somebody who just knows that information and are able to um you know um basically present it uh more easily than I am but at the same time I you, you've known me I'm always I've always been more of a uh um a, di- a more I take a more I always dive more into the material than the history of it I feel like I yeah. feel like I I I gain the history of it you know because I want to you know know about it and be informed but I'm always like if i if the dial turned either toward the history to the actual material i've always been like a more material guy i'm i'm vain that way i'm i'm, I'm selfish i i like material things
1: yeah um i know you like material things well you you're you're the uh physical media connoisseur
0: yeah yeah don't 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 you forget it <laughs> Don't you?
1: I was about this. I thought you were going to say, "Don't you start," because we'll be here all day. Yeah, no that that's a
0: whole other. If we had a Patreon, that's that that would be a whole other rant. That would be a whole other rant. But anyway, but but speaking of physical media, which I'm sure you could get this on digital. But speaking of physical media uh, today, Nick, you and I will be watching um, our copies of the original 1954 Godzilla. Um, and the copies we are watching are Criterion Collection. Yes. And um, uh, so that should give everybody, even though it's, it's probably the original movie, um, you know, we're watching with um, English subtitles and uh, native Japanese. So the film should be the same. But if anybody wants a precise version of the film that we are watching... Um, it is the Criterion Collection. But even that being said, Nick and I have had to do some syncing between our two copies because they're just like slight little differences that we will uh, keep you guys abreast right, of. Right,
1: because you're watching on the original Criterion release. Correct. And I am watching through the Showa Era set. Correct. Which I guess has slightly different opening titles. Yes.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh-huh. So like uh so for everybody well, before we get into the specifics of the actual commentary itself, uh Nick, is there anything that you wanna kind of say as we go into revisiting the original nineteen fifty four Gojira?
1: It'll be very interesting to revisit this for me, um, for a couple reasons. Is actually uh this is one that I, I have not actually sat down and watched since the beginning of the podcast so Dr. No was very similar where it was like in that same time frame but one I'm more familiar with Dr. No just from the nature of being a Bond fan and it being a top uh, film for me in terms of the Bond canon but one of the things I'm very interested for uh Gojiro 1954 is this is a movie that stayed on the very top of my list since day one like Dr. No you know still in my top 10 but I put like other movies you know I eventually put like you know, Spy Who Loved Me and Living Daylights and, and for your, it's only like above that. Like I put a couple movies above Dr. No at that point. Whereas Godzilla 1954 has stayed number one since day one. And it'll be very interesting to see if I revisit it. Like I, I don't doubt that I will still put it like very, very highly and it still might stay number one on my list, but it'll be interesting to revisit it and kind of really see if, you know, if those other, like, you know, if, if the um, Ghidras and the, the Shin Godzillas and the uh, Godzilla versus destroyers of the world, you know, make their way up over this one. But it's going to be very interesting because this is really one of the best Godzilla films, you know, ever made, and it's still an absolute classic. And it'll be very interesting to just revisit it from that perspective and to kind of see now, uh, especially because... Like with Dr. No, just seeing how different this movie is than sort of what came after. Uh, just a real quick tangent that after our Dr. No commentary, I was such in a bond mood that I immediately put on for your eyes only. And it was really striking to me just from a filmmaking perspective and a tone perspective, and just how the movie looked and how it we felt, how different it did feel from Dr. No, being like about 20 years later. So it'll be very interesting for me in that same perspective where watching this one and kind of having this knowledge of the very distinct evolution of the Godzilla franchise, what that'll be like to go back to its, its very simple, simplest origins and just in terms of the filmmaking.
0: Yeah, it's one of those movies where I think that over time, when you just kind of look at the legacy of it and even just us talking about it, it is one of those films where the original really just... Hit it out of the park and really, it, it's. I I mean, you really wouldn't argue too hard if somebody did say this is this remain the best of the films. I I think. I mean, because it it's operating on such a very unique level, and it really is doing something uh you unique. I would even say. I mean, even more so than I think, like you know, movies like movies like King Kong are like the um, you know the um, you know the. I, in terms of iconography, like the big famous ones, you know, that, that was just continuing the legacy of Her- of Ray Harryhausen. Um, and I'm not saying that dismissively at all. I mean, obviously it, it took it to the next level. Um, I feel like, you know, when you watch this movie, it, it, it really is coming out swinging, doing something very specific and unique with a genre that, you know, they didn't know would be as lasting as it is today. Um, and the fact that what makes it interesting going back and watching this one is that at this point, I feel like of all the movies we watched in the Godzilla franchise, this movie will be the most fresh start from everything. It will be unlike anything that we've been watching for the past couple episodes. Um, like when you see where the Godzilla franchise has gone and one of the strengths about the Godzilla franchise, I think you and I have kind of said, is like we we think it has gone in good directions um, from these unique beginnings. But, you know, it is interesting to go back to this one um, and then just and in, in, in that way, it almost seems even more fresh because you can always go back to the original. And it's so unlike um, the films that came after it, with the exception of a few films and uh, it just makes it all the worthwhile going back to watch it and getting uh, uh just refreshed on how good it is.
1: <laughs> yeah and and it really is because uh, you like you said with um with what we were watching on the Godzilla side for a while, I mean, anytime we go back to this era, it's kind of really like, you know, it's you know it's you're going back to kind of like that kind of more peak Showa era in terms of like the wild and craziness of it all. like even once you get to like, you know, like maybe like a, you know, a Rodan is is more closer to this, even though it is still a little bit of a wilder movie. But like, what by the time you get to like Mothra with its villain, and like you get to War, of the and, and and King Kong escapes, which are other show era movies we may be able to look at this year, that they are kind of more in sort of the the, the show at the post King Kong versus Godzilla show era, which is where kind of. You could argue that the kind of the extended legacy of Godzilla comes after King Kong versus Godzilla, just in terms of how that movie's, you know, battling of two monsters, you know, really kind of drives what the rest of the show era is. And I think it's just very interesting to go back to this original one and and just see the the emotional weight that this movie holds um, and to kind of revisit that aspect of it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, without further ado, why don't we uh, just um, get into the film? Um, so, as I said before, we are watching the Criterion Collection uh, version of the film. This is the uh, original 1954 Gojira film, so uh, no um, Steve Martin, uh, no uh, Raymond Burr in, the <laughs> in this film. This is uh, all completely original, and... Um, so, because of different copies of the film, uh, Nick and I did some finagling to make sure that we we're um, as synced up as possible. Um, as we press play on the criteria, different Criterion collections, the Criterion logo shows up, but then there's um, another logo that shows up on some versions, and another one that um, you know, sh- or you know, that doesn't show up on different versions. So we were able to kind of sync it up to. Um, there is a. Basically, kind of like a, a title screen that comes up that says it's approved by, like, the Japanese Coast Guard. Um, and we are starting right after um, that happens. So as soon as that fades to black, Nick and I have pressed pause. So when we say play, the first thing that we are going to see and the first thing everybody should see if they are syncing up with us is the Toho logo. And then the film should go on um, as planned. Uh, Does that make sense that I make that clear, do you think, Nick? Yeah, so basically,
1: you want to pause as soon as the cooperation with the Coast Guard screen goes off, and the next thing that should pop up once you press play again is the Toho logo.
0: Okay, perfect. I I think we made that clear. So, Nick, are we ready to watch 1954 Gojira? I'm ready. If you're ready, all right. Let's get into this. And Nick, uh, you know, I, I, let's keep. Uh, we're, we're, you know, the audience loves it when we keep transparent. Um, let me know about any uh, audio levels on on your end. And um, yes. obviously, our audience won't be hearing the movie. They can either listen to this as a normal podcast or they can sync it up. But on this track, they won't be or they they shouldn't be hearing the actual uh, track, the sound of the film itself. Right. Just and our beautiful voices.
1: And as a reminder, we're gonna go three, two, one press play on play yes so when Uh, we say
0: play press that button as we say play so press play (laughs) (laughs) all right so are we ready to go i'm ready okay all right and here we go and three two one play and the toho logo comes up you good nick yep i'm good all right so toho here we go it's this I like that
1: Toho color logo that we get into like the later showa era
0: so first of all let's let's just talk about this because this is an iconic just kind of introduction to the to the uh, film uh, in general it's just the the uh, Godzilla sound effects over the credits and um, you know we hear the footsteps at the beginning over the black screen and the first thing you see is the title card um, come up and um, Something that was actually emulated in uh, the 2019 King of the Monsters. The whole black screen and the title comes up. And then actually more directly translated in the Shin Godzilla. Um, mm-hmm. So, but it's funny. Like, I, you know, there is an air of mystery to it, I think, that I like. It just kind of like starts out Godzilla. And then, you know. And it's also interesting that it's like, you know, I mean, I'm not as familiar with the films of this time, but it's starting with rolling credits. But it is kind of nice that to think that this would be the first time you're hearing the infamous Akira Ifakube score.
1: And again, it's something just like with the bond theme in Dr. No, that it's established. These iconic elements are established almost instantaneously. The roar, the sound effects, the, the, the Ifakube score, like everything is right here within the first like minute or two of the actual film. And, and, with it's everything. almost like
0: an overture right before the right before the performance if you think yes. about it in a weird way. Right,
1: like the cla- like kind of that classic element, but it's very much there's like with Bond everything that you know kind of st- really builds over the next couple films, but there's those iconic elements that start off like immediately uh as you as you turn on the original film when you go back to it
0: also interesting this is getting really into the nitty-gritty but opening up on the ocean right there it's just an interesting um kind of like subconscious choice like you know that they're already subconsciously getting your attention to you know this is like a creature that will be you know coming from the sea in a way
1: yeah and you can even again um you know Again, even already connecting it to its World War II kind of origins and stuff like that, you know, kind of in many ways sort of going back to the, the H-bomb tests uh, that you would have over water, you know, that we see again when it comes back sort of in the opening of um, Godzilla 2014 when we kind of see, you know, the testing into kind of the bombing of Godzilla that they that they showcase in the opening credits of that movie
0: it's also a film that like when you just watch these first uh, like you know this opening it, it's already opening up with tragedy um, and you know it's kind of played in a more like uh, like to get your attention but it definitely is setting the stage that things are gonna be going wrong throughout the film
1: this what this though would be an interesting opening if this was like them calling mi6 like the beginning of Dr. No, like, and it's just like, it was like the the actual Bond-Godzilla crossover we've discussed so many times. Got some nice arms here. Working out a little bit.
0: Yeah, he he's already uh, emulating all of our American heroes. Just uh, tank top. Alright, dude, like, you know, I just need to wipe down my, my arms right here.
1: Work is work, Will.
0: (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, it is so. And it is interesting because, you know, and despite some of its unique stuff, it is kind of playing... You know, some of the you know, obviously they have become tropes. At the time, it probably wasn't as tropish, but you know, it, it is kind of following a almost monster disaster formula of something happens, and now they're catching up to it. And I mean, uh, so, I mean, there 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 is a little bit of to that, and it's just interesting. You see the kind of the roadmap for a movie like this being. Made and, and I mean obviously like you had Beast for twenty thousand fathoms which is very similar in some regard so you know they're not necessarily reinventing the wheel here too but it, it is showing how some structure of a film like this uh, really works in your favor.
1: Yeah, I, I was about to mention Beast of twenty thousand fathoms uh, and, and and just seeing kind of just the similarity and just the the, the very basic filmmaking here. Well, also I mean Honda of course has its own flourishes and there are there are the flourishes that come from it being. You know, a Japanese production as, a, as opposed to an American B-movie production of the period. But there are definitely very much similarities and you can see sort of just how what that sort of type of Hollywood filmmaking, you know, could have an effect on, on you know, even a, f- a foreign director like, like uh, Ipikuwe.
0: It's also interesting how one of the most striking visuals of all the destruction is the light and fire. Like, it's like, oh, blinding light, and the boats are on fire and everything. And we know that as the movie goes on, like, that some of, like, the, you know, the visuals will be, like, cities on fire and landscapes on fire, um, which is probably what makes something like Shin Godzilla, you know, such a great follow-up piece. Is like, you know, you have the great scene of them in the... uh, of the the destruction of the city the big atomic breath scene um but then also similarly like when you get to all the way to the death of uh godzilla all the way in godzilla versus Destroya, it's all about like you know fire burning godzilla you know um you know I'm, I'm i'm getting into some some deep stuff very early on into this commentary but you know we've al- it, we've also bro- had a long comment we also have a long podcast of being able to dissect this stuff so forgive me
1: And I think it also very much works effectively from the aspect of it being a black and white film and and black and white cinematography is its own own art form. I mean, they used to give, you know, the Oscars used to give separate awards for black and white cinematography versus color uh, cinematography. And there's a reason for that, because using sort of that light in that way and that fire, you know, it helps really kind of showcase ideas and elements very differently in sort of a, a film that does lack color. Um, so I think it's also not just the thematic stuff that we've talked about, but it's also just very f- smart filmmaking with, with Hanna using the technology that he has at this time. You really do see kind of... Uh, the the connections that we mentioned with with this movie and Shin Godzilla, and he, even sort of trying to react to this mysterious you know disaster and what's figuring out what's happening, um, obviously, and and where Shin takes the very more political aspect of it, they there there's a more you know again the kind of scientific questions that that arise about this creature that they eventually find mm-hmm. here. But you're, we, we mentioned all the way back, and Shin is one of our most popular episodes. Uh, one of the episodes we see the most feedback on, and one of the things I hear a lot is just our our commentary that it really was Shin was 54 for that time, and 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 not trying to redo it. But you can really see the connection that you know the filmmaking team of Shin really sees with this movie, even almost immediately, um, and it's a testament to what this 1954 movie is it's it's a already you can find it's a stone-cold classic of not just Japanese cinema but cinema as a whole and really striking uh from the beginning of the film
0: and you know it's interesting one thing kind of because we're making this comparison to Shin um and it kind of brought it up because I always found it fascinating you know that this film's most of its beginning um, you know, this whole, like, oh, like, you know, it's a bunch of fishing boats that have been attacked and the fact that we're spending time with, like, these kind of, like, islanders um, and obviously the rest of the film kind of really focuses on the visceral, down-to-earth, like, grounded nature of the, um, of the destruction. I watched a video recently um, about somebody who was analyzing Shin Godzilla versus the original Godzilla film. Um, and it was like the angle for it was like while it was like actually a technically, you know, really good movie, why it didn't work for them as much and basically it boiled down to the fact that the this film, Godzilla nineteen fifty-four, really focuses on the 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 plight that this destruction has on the common man. Like in that the So it's interesting that when you watch it like it like the big pieces of destruction are not like, oh, like, you know, there's like a building or, you know, just some sort of military vessel attacked. It's like fishing boats that have been attacked. And we're spending so much time with these fishermen and these islanders. And obviously we know where the film goes and they don't shy away from seeing just like, you know, families getting, you know, destroyed and everything like that. Um, Whereas something like Shin Godzilla, really, for all intents and purposes, primarily focuses on the government nature of, of everything it and it and you know to this reviewer's credit it, it very rarely ever dives into if at all any civilian um uh you know what the civilians are going through. Um, Now, I I disagreed in terms of that makes that a lesser film. I just think it's going in a different direction. But it it was nonetheless a very fascinating observation that I never thought about um, with the films. Um, I can't remember the name of the reviewer, so maybe I'll post it on, like, the Twitter later. But it it is a very distinct difference that um, Honda focuses on in this film versus uh, what they do in the later films.
1: That's a very interesting point and and I, I do think that this film one of its greatest strengths and the reason that it does hold up so well and remains so interesting from an analytical perspective is its focus on sort of the common man of Japan and, and there's, there's a couple scenes later that I will definitely bring this up again I don't want to get too ahead of myself here but uh, I definitely think that that's a, an interesting way to go about it and I think that's an angle that I think does sort of permeate throughout the entire Godzilla franchise. And I think the most successful of its human stories are the ones that really do focus on sort of the real true ground level nature of it. Like I I do think about like why we like the team in, in the 92 Mothra film or why you and I like sort of the human elements of 2014. And I think just kind of really keeping that eye on the ground and, you know, you can have sort of bigger stuff, for sure. But I I think that this movie really succeeds at kind of really keeping an eye on sort of the, 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 common, you know, the general populace and how, how this is affecting them.
0: Yeah. I mean, all of the human stuff. I mean, when you look at it, it's like, you know, it's, it's focusing on like, you know, the fishermen and the labor force. And now it's like something as grounded as like, you know, uh, like religious tradition as such as like the scene that we're looking at right now, where it's like almost kind of like these, you know, a very, um, just a very grounded look at like what the average person would be dealing with. We're just focusing on this stuff. And then even when you get further into the film, it's all about like the, like the conflict of these individual scientists. Like, you know, it's, it's a very personal, um, you know, kind of conflict. You know, when you when you watch something like Shin, it is all about like the government and the people in power. Like you know, like that is what it's about. Now, I think that works to its favor because it's operating on a more, um, it's just operating on a different level, um, yeah. or in an alternate level. I think and so. It does
1: that for it does a very good job of of, of analyzing and telling a story from that perspective,
0: right? But it is interesting because it's like when you watch this film, it is definitely like, you know, they're already talking about Godzilla as like a legend. And um, and that's yes. what, but honestly, that's why I think the, the the two films are great companion pieces. I mean, you can even look at that as a weakness and I would understand the criticism, but I almost think like that's what makes them great companion pieces. Like you're basically looking at the same type of event th- through a civilian versus like, you know, the people in charge. And I, I think mm-hmm. it's a very fascinating uh Dichotomy, like like even just like this scene right here, where it's like you know just piles of screaming people, like it's yeah, and, and it, pain, it's visceral. The,
1: just this yeah, the pain that they exhi- uh, uh, exhibit here, uh, alongside sort of the rain and and the just the the you're right is a very this movie is very visceral on so many levels, and again, I think it just increases in its viscerality. That's a word. Oh yeah. Well, as part the of the reason goes, is because the movie, you, goes the
0: movie hasn't really given us a very good visible hint of the 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 threat yet. I mean, it's it's still kind of like I mean, I'll never get tired of it, but like the franchise does always go back to the whole like Godzilla is either a metaphor for nature is like the big one. So right now it's strictly like as if these are events. I mean, you know, Honda's definitely. Not shying away from the fact that Godzilla is a metaphor for a bunch of different stuff. <laughs> I mean, he's setting the stage for like he's a stand-in for all these different things, and in that, it's like it, it's um you know it's man versus nature earlier there. Like I mean, we have Honda
1: was Honda was never a director to shy away from trying to say something. Even even in his uh large like the the larger Godzilla films he did, and the more ridiculous Godzilla films he did, I think he was always a director that you know wasn't afraid to when he had something to say to say it you know even if he you know even sometimes if it felt forced in you know there was like an element of um you know he's going into this movie with a very specific viewpoint and the movie is about that viewpoint and that's a very obviously valid way for a director to go about it and in in many ways what a director should do is have the viewpoint And him, it's like, again, the reflections on World War II and Man versus Nature and all the sort of stuff that sort of permeates Honda's head and his inspirations. And, you know, he he puts it on the sleeve and puts it on the page and and makes it fairly obvious to the audience. But that's what makes this movie
0: work so well. And in here we're introduced to um, one of the famous characters of the film is uh, Dr. Yamani.
1: And again, sort of right here, even here, it's talking, you know, having the people talk about the disaster and, and how it's affecting and, and the mystery of it, and sort of the discussions of how to figure it out and how to, you know, protect people. Like all that stuff is already coming up right here. And, and Yamani, of course, is, yeah, one of the very early famous, you know, human characters of the franchise and, and really sort of makes an impression on, on this film.
0: And it's also uh, here we go the military theme.
1: Wait, we don't have any news, will? Here we go. That's <laughs> <one laughs> Mister Eye Patch. No, wait, we got a, one of the coolest sights: is a man with an eye patch wearing sunglasses.
0: Yes. I mean, wearing how cool sun- can you get?
1: Right, like. You know, you would think like, oh, maybe you just have half a sunglass. No, you still need the full sunglasses over your eye patch. And that's, but that's what makes the look work.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's, um, Another thing about the film, it, it's really interesting how, and it's funny hearing somebody like Michael Doherty talk about this in King of the Monsters about how he really wanted to put a, uh, a slight, um, uh, closer emphasis on like you know the the science brigade nature of like you know the films. But when you go back and watch like this film, that right up front, like you know they it is it, very like putting up the scientists. Um, in a very prominent role. Like, you know, Dr. Yamani is the first character of note that, you know, it has some cinematic attention to him who is speaking with some authority uh, on the events of the film. So, um, even from the early days, it's a very, you know, it's very focused on the science, I suppose. Or at yeah, least, like, the scientific community.
1: Yeah, that's always been, a f- uh, I, I think, a very... Uh, focus you see over the course of the franchise I think um, because especially with the Honda films I think you find that a lot of them do kind of even have a science element even when it's dealing with its most ridiculous elements you know and trying to explain sort of the unexplainable which I think is a big part of the Godzilla franchise as a whole whether it be Godzilla whether it be aliens whether it be you know other monsters there, there's a you know there's a big part of like you know science trying to explain the the impossible and the unexplainable. Uh, and I think that's a big part of here because you think about, again, what what the fallout of this time was something like the hydrogen bomb and what happened to Japan would have seemed to be an impossibility uh, until science sort of made it work. And, and to the same to the same effect, it's like a something like a Godzilla seems like it's an impossibility or going forward, something like a Hedora seems like it's an impossibility, but it's up to the scientists to you know, we we constantly see we're turning to the scientists, or you know, even regard like the the investigative journalist to sort of uncover the truth of it, which I always think is a very interesting element to the Godzilla franchise.
0: Well, and you can also make the argument that the legacy of the bomb was more so a complicated calculation of science, more so than anything, like. Obviously, there are military and governmental uh, forces behind it, but the, kind of the way in which we talk about it is like just scientifically was was it the best course of direction? Because the history of it is like you know you had their your be, like you know America's best scientists on the project, like you know working on you know these things. So um, you know, so it makes sense that. The Godzilla movie, which is an allegory for that, is a more science-based film.
1: <laughs> you know, you think about this movie, and 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 Jet Jaguar wasn't even a glimmer in someone's eye. No, no, they at this they, point. I, I
0: don't. I don't even think the kid who made up Jet Jaguar was born yet. No, this this the this film walked, so Jet Jaguar can run. <laughs> Indeed.
1: It's also really fun just to see sort of even though, you know, this doesn't have the giant monster fights or anything like that, that there is quite a big scope. Like you just see the, you know, you see the legions of people running up this hill and you see the legions of people of how how the Honda shoots it. Like there, there's a big feeling of what's happening here, right? There's the Honda creates an aura of like something really important is causing all this tragedy tragedy oh here we go and the first appearance of our our big giant monster friend godzilla
0: and and just like you know and and this is like kind of an underrated first appearance just kind of like and i think it it, in some ways it takes you it it takes you by surprise because it's like in the middle of the day and it's just right over the hill so you don't really expect it um the perspective of it is pretty good it's actually a scene that is um replicated in uh, gmk um at a certain point where godzilla is like you know looking over over the mountains um yeah, that's... and again, like all that stuff that
1: Honda just did and setting up how many people were there and, and, and chasing up that hill immediately makes a big, big impact when all those same people are running away and, and trying to figure out what the, what the hell they just saw. And you're, you're very much right. I think it's it's very interesting in that, like, if you thought about if you were making a monster like Godzilla today, you know, a filmmaker would have it be at night in the rain or anything like that, like the, the biggest drama possible. Like, here's our big reveal. Whereas here it very much is, again, it's a part of sort of the course of nature of, of, of the discovery and the science is that it's just Godzilla can pop out of, out of nowhere. Old school slideshows will too, (laughs) you know, if you did this today, it would just be what PowerPoint or even that. Is there an updated PowerPoint now? Or do we still use PowerPoint? I don't even know. I haven't No, been to it, it
0: would it would be like a much more like it would be graphics. It would be animations. It would be it would be like I mean like again we have that in King of the Monsters when uh Dr. Emma Russell she uh shows her PowerPoint presentation of why she's destroying the world like you know and that yeah. had, that had like footage um you you always and you always wonder about like the intern that has to put those together
1: yeah. Like the in-universe intern or like the the filmic intern? Both. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah. Like what you thought? Like yeah, one of. Uh... One of the uh, scientific assistants one of the lab assistants
0: had to be like, find a bunch of pictures of dinosaurs and put it on a put
1: it on a slideshow.
0: Well, for me. I mean, like in, in all fairness, when you wa- when I've always watched films like this, you always just kind of equate the, the scientists to being cool, but also kind of dorky losers. So I guess I just always assume like they just put the presentation together. Now, that's
1: what I, I would assume that he put the presentation together himself, Cause, especially because of science. It's like you want to make
0: sure that you're getting
1: your thesis and <laughs> point across. Of,
0: because of science.
1: <laughs> we got our first mention of the, the hydrogen bomb testing mm-hmm. uh, here, which As again driven, is a main...
0: Driven from his sanctuary, which to be fair is... Is something that they replicate in the 2014 film. Like, they, mm-hmm. they, uh, that was the origin, is that it more so awakened it. Um, I have to be careful in this movie if they extrapolate that it was a mutation. Um, I know that's something that comes up later on in the franchise, but I, I think as far as it is now, it's like, oh, it's just like, you know, our meddling with these forces have awoken this.
1: Yeah, especially because this movie really, even though, again, it has the science aspect, but does still really play with sort of the legendary aspect of Godzilla, as we saw earlier, where the old man is basically saying, you fools, it's Godzilla, like, you know, stop feeding your cows. And there is still like that with... um, with here, even though there is a very scientific explanation of, like, this is how we found out it's Godzilla and how we can assume it's this sort of prehistoric creature, that there still is already a mythical element building to the creature.
0: But also tying it into the real world uh, atomic issues.
1: Yeah, especially because of if its, you know, big impact on, on Japan, which, you know, it can never be understated. I mean, they were bombed. You know, with two hydrogen bombs and and we're, you know, even up to the point here and even into, you know, as we get into like even the 80s and 90s, we're still really feeling the effects of of what that did to the country from a cultural and from a, a, a physical perspective.
0: But again, still keeping it interestingly vague enough, where it's like, you know, it's just, you know, it's just hydrogen bombs is not like, you know, they're not making a direct, um, pointed, um, you know, they're they're not directly pointing at history. It's just more of so like the the, this, the general uh, history vague.
1: This argument that they're having right here about whether to make it public or not. Very timely. Yeah. yeah. Always always timely. It's sort of this idea where, again, it's like the, the panic of telling everybody versus not telling people will cause more harm than good it's it's uh it's again it's a very
0: interesting debate that, I that mean, really st- you know there's a lot of things i mean like i i mean just recently with like present day stuff i mean you know there's also this rising concern of you know not even just just specifically in certain countries like worldwide like how the labor class is being treated I, i've been reading articles about how this has been a worldwide concern it's like every country is going through its different thing with its own labor class like already. And now because of, you know, some sort of unprecedented event. So that's why I'm, I'm watching this film right now. And I'm just finding another piece of, of um, story that just makes this just as timely is like the fact that like this is this film opened up on, you know, yeah. very much labor class people.
1: But I also love this scene, especially from the perspective of a common person because these are people casually on their train ride talking about Godzilla, right? It's like she was just like atomic tuna and atomic radiation and now Godzilla and all on the top of it. Like, do you think he's going to attack? Like, there's just a that's how people will talk about this stuff is just mm-hmm. right. Like there is sort of like a, a, just a natural sort of like they have to be sort of casual about it. And, and it really still goes to that point about this being a movie that really focuses on sort of the the working class and the labor class of the country and that, you know, that's who we're seeing how this affects both from, you know, the physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint and the worry that it's, it can create.
0: I've always wanted a, a film and maybe this is more of a series kind of uh, notion where you just kind of, you know, explore a world that more casually knows that these monsters exist. Like I've always like and maybe maybe we'll get that in something like Godzilla versus Kong where it's like, you know, they just have to live in this world where like Rodan is like a thing. So you just more right. casually talk about like, oh, I heard that there was a Rodan storm like in uh Dubai well, I mean, that's, or something that's what, like that.
1: That's what the ending of uh King of the Monsters set up, so it'll be very interesting to see how they go about that. But again, I think that's always been one of the more interesting things about the franchises you know especially once you get into the later showa era like you have this sort of continuity which is very loose but fluid where they just live in worlds where godzilla and the monsters like have existed and you know maybe not every movie that happened before that is canon but there's a central sense of like whereas godzilla is around once you get to the heisei era you know that has a more distinct continuity so they kind of have this ongoing conflict with Godzilla. The Millennium films just sort of go all over the place. And then we've really only had, you know, Shin Godzilla in terms of that that part of the, the Reiwa era because, you know, the uh, the anime films do something different. But it is, again, always interesting when they do go back to, like, a... It's the first appearance of a, of a Godzilla, like we kind of see in this film, in Shin. Um and into like sort of some of the, some of the millennium era stuff. Whereas like you have like stuff, you know, something more along the lines of Godzilla 2000 where, you know, we're just in raised media of like a world that Godzilla exists
0: in. It's just, it's so striking to me how little, you know, focus on military and government that there is in this film. thus (laughs) far like there really isn't that much uh, like up until this point like you know it's kind of played more of a perfunctory role uh if anything but um it's definitely more of just even if it's getting into these like you know the scientists and everything and people who do have some status it's even these scenes like we're, we're watching right now where it's in homes and you know you're right. Going back to that scene where they're riding in the in the in the train, like that—that's what the film is focusing on more so than anything else.
1: It is interesting now that, that watching this, and again, part of this is reflecting on where the series goes, and and now that we've seen the whole franchise, is like how there is sort of this this commonality with like you know I think like a lot of the later films, especially once you get to the Hasey. And the Millennium films, there is sort of a more distinct focus on the the uh, that militaristic aspect and the, the beating of Godzilla. But I think that one of the things about the Showa era is like you do have, yes, the scientists. But again, once we get into the run of reporters and, you know, like the film crews and that, that sort of element, like there very is, again, that Showa era really does represent sort of the on the ground nature. And we do get more over time. Of the military appearances, but there really is sort of a sense of kind of getting the common man. You know, we talk about like the comic book artist or uh, from from Gigan or the inventor in in Megalon. You know, or or kind of the 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 the, the people in like the first Mechagodzilla, like the sort of the village folk and stuff. Like, there's very much like a show. Era really does like the focus or give you a lot of sort of these kind of on the ground characters a lot of time. But I think this film just excels at that.
0: Also, a really brief kind of like uh, like uh, uh, artistic choice like there. I love that Godzilla was underwater, but they still put footstep sound effects. <laughs> well, he's big, Will. Yes. I just always like the the footsteps just being kind of more of like an artistic license motif. Like it just, you, even though if you think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just that it, 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 you just think, Big heavy footsteps when you think of Godzilla, so you might as well just play them. Always
1: enjoy a classy white suit with the white hat sitting there. Like the look.
0: Yeah, it's it's a dangerous game though to play the white suit, especially if you're going to put on the hat. Then you're getting into some plantation nonsense. baptized in the fire of the h-bomb and survived could you get a cooler job description, like just a character description than that (laughs) that feels like that you know what you know how i always talk about when you write a script and you're like yep i did it that's that type of line it's pretty much i mean and that's (laughs) uh, that's an incredible
1: line uh again not just for again what honda's trying to say is at this point, like the H bomb was like the most powerful thing on Earth. Uh, I like the this the thing that was just again the shock and awe of it all, and now there seems to be something here that's even bigger than the H bomb.
0: Well, it, and it's also just a visceral like if you get into like the, what it, the line actually means, it's like this force that really brought so much just destruction and pain onto this country. And you're basically, you have the context of that and you're basically saying, well, this was a creature who basically washed it over like a clean rag and was born because of that and walked free of it. Like, what kind of force are we looking at if that's how we're describing it?
1: Right, yeah, that it that it, it was the thing that, you know, did survive and it was created, you know, molded by it, right? He's mm-hmm. the bane mm-hmm. of the H-bomb. He's the, yeah, the didn't bane make of any J- sense.
0: he's the bane of Japan. Bane. My name is Godzilla. <laughs> Screonk.
1: I was born in it. See, it, it works pretty perfectly.
0: You the one thing I will say about the film just more on kind of like a more critical note is that, you know, it is nice that you kind of you kind of like getting these more human interactions, but you know, just because they're human interactions, but I, I have to say that I don't think that you really get invested into, like, a real character drama up until Sarazawa plays, like, a bigger role into, into the film. Um, I, I think all this stuff is good, suitable stuff, and I think it, bri- it allows you to bridge into the character stuff later in the film. But I, I don't know if they quite figured out how to what to do with, like, their individual human characters quite yet in this film.
1: Yeah, I just think, again, I think there's just a really a focus on the thematics and and just from a writing perspective, like sometimes when you really do focus on the thematics that like you kind of, you kind of just, you don't necessarily lose the characters, but that it, sometimes in your mind, it can kind of take a backseat. It just feels like sometimes that that is, Honda's biggest strengths is like his thematics. Honda's biggest strengths are his thematics and the way he really helps to integrate sort of, the special effect stuff into the movie but i think that you could make the argument that that honda definitely had his great characters but never really was consistent with with presenting them um because i think for honda the themes and the the effects and the monsters were always like his his main focus and that's not necessarily like a, a true criticism um because i think that again i think that you know some directors have their directors have their strengths i think like some directors are better with characters. Some directors are best with, with you know, with with making the dialogue pop. And some back directors are great with theme. And so, you know, you get those very special directors that are are perfect at all three. Um, but I think here, like, you really get the showcase, like, you know, Honda's focus on thematics, uh, and, and it really is is at its best here in, in in the original Godzilla.
0: What do you what if you had to guess? What is the deal with the eye patch? Like and maybe I'm being ignorant. Maybe there is actually a documented reason behind the eye patch. But just as a viewer of these films, what like what would you say is what's the reason behind the eye patch? You mean like from a behind the scenes, like why Honda would have put an eye patch on him, or just like like anything, like story wise, like what like what do you think it says? It, like it gives it. It immediately gives
1: him a history. It immediately gives this character like like he is someone who has been you know been in the shit he's struggled with something you know what did he lose that eye in a battle did he lose that eye you know did he fight in the war did he lose that eye in a battle did he lose that eye in like a, a, a dangerous experiment like it gives the character instantly like in an, an aura of mystery uh to him and immediately how they present him here where he's you know refuses to talk about stuff and and sort of his his, his inherent sadness that it immediately just it just a design element that immediately strikes you about the character. I think adds like that. That's the thing about the character. This character, is, Sarazawa, is the film's best character, and one of the reasons that you remember him so much is the eye patch. And I think it just gives just another step to what that character is and what it means.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's definitely a visible scar too, and I mean, and, and the way in which the role is played is pretty brilliantly too. It, it's just such a worn character, like that. I mean, everything from like let's say just obvious things like the eye patch to the way that the character is played. It, it's just so dejected and worn out. Um, it, I mean, it, it really works.
1: There's A reason that this character, you know, the name is used once again for the Dr. Sarazawa character we see played by Ken Watanabe in the legendary films because it's just character just has that immediate legacy. Um, that it, it's like because I think my thing is that there are a lot of Godzilla characters that I really love, and I've, I've mentioned many of them over the course of the podcast, but. Sarazawa is legitimately one of the few that I can remember the name, and it's not just because of you know the connection to Ken Watanabe. I'm so I'm sure that helps, but because it's just the look and the character and the emotion of the character is so distinct that 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 Sarazawa is such a memorable part of this movie uh, and one of the most memorable human characters in in the original show at Godzilla canon.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm I, I'm curious to to hear what you think maybe maybe either now or later about we've never I don't think ever in the podcast talked about the reuse of that name in the in the legendary films and and I even haven't quite really put my finger on n- not necessarily how I feel about that about but how do I feel that fits into the legacy of it because it's it's a very unique I mean obvious the obvious. Go to relation is that these are two characters who take a very intimate role into the fate of Godzilla. Um, obviously, they're very different in terms of the 2014 Sarazawa is more of like this nature, contra- uh, like conservationist, um, um, you know, lover of the Titans and Godzilla, whereas this one is, you know, willing to destroy Godzilla, but is more you know, just has a completely different character motivation. Um, but that, that is something I do want to touch on, but we are kind of seeing the first effects of the oxygen destroyer right here. So I do want to talk about this. It's also one of like, one of the reasons I love this scene is like, you really, this is where Honda is really doing a bunch of different stuff. Um, we haven't seen we, he didn't he doesn't show what has happened yet, um, but it's just interesting. Like you, you've kind of gone from this like you know this beasts from twenty thousand fathoms type horror film or you know monster film, and now there's like this kind of like very like Frankenstein you know universal monsters esque shenanigans going on down there. Like what what is it? Even when you look at the the production design and everything, so you know. It's an aspect of this film, I think, that is often overlooked. I think I, I, and, that it makes it very fascinating to watch. And again,
1: it, it also relates again back to the whole H bomb metaphor slash scenario, where again, it's once again science, whatever. Again, we don't necessarily see it right away, but it's it's science sort of playing into its its most horrifying in many ways. But, but then also
0: you don't know, like, you know, does it have to do something with the larger plot? Like, is this somehow involved in, in, in Godzilla in exactly. some way? Exactly. Like you don't but, know, but, there's, but yet. yeah,
1: there's still that aura about it where it's again, science is, is is doing something crazy and, and what role will that play coming up? And again, that's the question that is actually said in this movie. And, and, and a theme that is explored in other Godzilla movies is sort of what the
0: effect will be, going forward you know can, and, can we and, 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 can can that be a tagline in something something you said earlier science is doing something
1: i mean that's basically any movie with science is that's sort of the theme about it right
0: <laughs> Science. that's a good subtitle for like an old like 80s 90s movie this summer science is up to something <laughs>
1: Again, I think we've mentioned a couple times, but really getting sort of these quiet moments into traditional Japanese culture is is a very important part of the movie. And and, and then we get to immediately see sort of like the reaction of like okay, Godzilla's coming now. I I or, or well, is it I think coming? what makes
0: what I think what makes it work is that it, it's really illustrating how invasive this is in, into life. Like the fact that th- this was, the day was over like they were sitting down after a tiring day of stress um, and dealing with this issue. But like this threat can come in at any moment. And I think that was a moment that really illustrates that point. I mean, I could watch an entire montage of Godzilla rising from the ocean. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like it, it's just always like a treat to see in, in all, in all the films.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. It's, 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 again, one of the classic iconography moments of the character and, and something that is essentially very consistent about the character through so much of its history, even going into the legendary films and going into the the uh, modern Godzilla canon is it's sort of its relationship with the ocean and water uh, and its ability to sort of hide in that regard uh, because of it's, you know, that it can just go anywhere, be anywhere, and it can hide, and you never know when it's coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, the obvious connection is that the ocean is the great unknown. Um, it's basically once it goes in there, and it, if it disappears, there's no way for you to find it. Um, so there's a there's an easy connection there to make. Yeah.
1: though it does make me consider that the opposite happens in the War of the Gargantuas, where the, the two, you know, the two land-based creatures go out to sea to die essentially yeah. uh, as they fight each other and it's just a very interesting difference and a very interesting sort
0: of like kind of parallel in many ways so here here we get like some suitmation right here some man in suit action It's some of the first time we're seeing this in a godzilla film oh here we go nick your favorite
1: ah uh, yes the model train It's just, again, for it being the first, it's just some of this, the initial filmmaking here is just so impressive. It's impeccable work. It's just, it's amazing that just from day one, they just, they nailed this just with the people running away and Godzilla in the background. And in, in, in relative speaking, it's, it's, it's simple to kind of explain, but just the way that it looks and the way that it functions within the film, it's, it's perfection from, from day one.
0: Though those are bad train conductors. Yes. They're like, right. They just saw the giant foot come down, really? hmm
1: Well, Will, you know, maybe it was like in Speed, where the brakes didn't work.
0: We have to jump the foot.
1: That would actually be a moment in the Godzilla movie, like, where they just like, Keanu Reeves is like, we've got we've to speed up. We got to jump the foot. Also, by the way, Speed still an incredible movie for any of you out there who not seen it. And yeah, we we gotta make fun of sort of the toy nature of this and the model work. You know, is probably the part that you could say has not aged the best, but it still sort of has its charm. It and I don't fun. know. I
0: I feel like maybe I don't know if it's just kind of like the the vintage nature of the film. You know, the it's that it's black and white, and maybe and the darkness of how it's shot. I mean, this is a fairly dark scene. I feel like they're doing a very good job of blending I the mean, two. No, I think I think it's just that train and the foot is
1: it's the most obvious. Yeah. But even here where he's, like, lifting the bridge, like, is, and, and the destruction of this bridge right here is so... It is very impressive, and still remains impressive uh, even in twenty twenty.
0: Yeah, and, and you know this was before they um, made the faux pas with um, frame rates that they would in the follow the follow up film to this, Godzilla raids again, um, where they messed up the frame rate. So in by the time that they were uh, cutting the film together, that the monsters moved very fast during action. So now it's still very deliberate, slow, heavy movements, which fits in with what Honda wanted to do. Honda was always that that these creatures are burdened with the weight of their size. So it, it, it makes sense that everything moves with a slow, deliberate pace with the creatures. And it makes the weight of like their actions feel um, more visceral.
1: And again, sort of here, we're seeing the initial, just the desperation of we've got to do something, right? So their their plan right here is to try to electrocute Godzilla. And, you know, it's again, we've already kind of had this sort of stuff where, you know, the, the impossibility of killing Godzilla has been discussed, but sort of the desperation right here of we got to do something, um, which again, plays into sort of we see into how it affects like the common people, right? We have, we see evacuations and we see sort of the the destruction that, that will come and, and how do you rebuild from that? And I, sometimes this film doesn't necessarily reflect on the rebuilding part as much as other Godzilla films may do in the future, but it is something that, that's already in consideration. Um, and this is a scene that that is replicated in many of a Godzilla film, but I don't think, even if there are, you know, technically better ones, like, there's not a film that I feel like really gets to the emotion of that feeling of that need to evacuate into shelter than this movie does. And because of how close it was to, again, the the original H-bombs falling.
0: It is funny that the,
1: like, this sort of, this part of theme and then sort of this military, you know, or this sort of, Ha- what I, what I mean to say is like how this sort of feels in a similar way to how they used um you know the bond theme in Dr No where it was sort of a theme that you could just place somewhere mm-hmm. to really give it sort of a, a, a
0: an oomph yeah, just it, like it, with it's, Dr. No it, it's more of a general disaster theme in, in in this film and then it would go on to become uh more of the because I, I, I don't think we have in this film it doesn't have the bum bump bump bum bump bum, bum, bum like that part's not uh introduced quite yet in, in this film I don't I don't believe but the right. march itself. I mean but in you know despite us like kind of saying like in general like you know it's way more about like the science and everything and it's not as military focused the 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 musicality of it is all very much like marches and mm. it, it, you know there is a deployment of the military and obviously the Godzilla franchise has had a very unique relationship with the military in that way and obviously like you know we're dealing with a different culture as well um one that I I can't necessarily speak to with authority but it it's definitely there in the way that they they present it like, yeah, there, absolutely. The, the feeling is there without like if you just watch it as a fan, there really isn't like, you know, without getting too far into it, like, you know, it's not like a Michael Bay movie where there's like this complete like kind of like visual reverence for the military. Right. There, There's more of a practical uh, use for it here.
1: And I feel like that's always been like one of the things about the Godzilla franchise. Like even once you get to the Hazy era and there is a little bit more focused on like the Godzilla defense force and the and, and the military aspect of it, there's always like a weight treated with, with the military when it's used in that effect, right? There there's always sort of this debate about you know how we feel about the creatures and and and, and really sort of the weight of of what is holding over them with these battles and with these issues
0: um well also like when you get into the Hazy films the military is treated more of like they're treated more like the uh, police department in like a batman comic where it's like it's more of a perfunctory role like it's like you know they play the part but you know <laughs> the the more fantastical elements are the things that actually like make the story uh indeed go 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 forward indeed but a lot of like even a lot of times
1: in my imagination like um, you know, when you use the military, it's either sort of like a, like a run-of-the-mill, like, here's our shot of them firing at, at Godzilla or Anguirus or Ghidorah and nothing works, especially in the Showa era. Um, or they're, like, screwing up royally like they do at the end of Ghidorah where they can't get that electric thing on. Mm-hmm.
0: This is where the film is probably, you know, you know, for wherever you land on it is very much wearing its conversational pieces on its sleeve like you always have to have the dr yamani character it's like well we just can't kill it we need it's like this is a rare find and you know other people are like uh not for nothing but it is kind of a threat
1: he is a zoologist
0: it's true
1: It nice is int- th- I like that special news bulletin <laughs> jingle by the way. It's very like it's very pleasant and immediately it's like Godzilla is coming to t- everybody get away.
0: It, it's just interesting though because as much as I do think we may be overdue for like a completely villainous Godzilla it just kind of goes back to why it's such a delicate balance like with GMK because it's like you really do want to like seeing Godzilla, which is why the legendary films work for me. And then it's like if you just make him, if you go back too hard into this, it's just like, you know, it's a hard, it's a difficult balance to find because it's like you want to see him, but like the rest of the film and the characters basically have a point by saying like, well, he really should be destroyed. <laughs> Cuz he is a threat and it's not like and it's not like the film as an audience you could you could say that like when they have that conversation of if he's a threat or should we preserve him as an audience you're basically like saying like no, the destroying him is probably the way to go because it is a giant creature who seemingly is unstoppable and is destroying everything in its path. <laughs>
1: Right, I think especially
0: for this first movie, because once you get into it,
1: once there's a more legacy to the character, and you kind of understand the character more, or there's more very distinctive, like, you know, the debates get further and further, deeper and deeper, you know, I think that for this film, there's definitely, like, you know, but I I think that's always a part of the science, though, and again, even, like, again, just relating to the H-bomb, like, yes, you know, the H-bomb was leading to some of the biggest destruction mankind has ever seen, but... Those initial scientists are again, it's it, we're doing that project, you know, the Manhattan Project, everything for that's curiosity and for the science of it. And there's always that a lot of science films have that sort of debate where it's like there is this aspect of curiosity and science that will always get the better. of you.
0: This is all just so just great stuff right here. Just mm-hmm. like the destroying the destruction and the, the Godzilla and the suit and everything. But uh, to your point, yeah, no, that's actually right. I mean, even, you know, you do often have to think that every time they're talking about Godzilla, you basically just, even though they, earlier on, they did just say, like, what makes Godzilla different from the H-bomb? Like, they literally say that in the film. But any time there's a conversation about what to do with Godzilla, you have to look at it as they're talking about the um, the H-bomb. They're, they're talking about or nuclear power in terms of, weaponry. And, and and a fun little note right here. This is when Godzilla's atomic breath was in fact an atomic breath and was more of like a gaseous hot uh breath that like melted uh that uh, melted steel. Um something would, that you don't really see as much anymore. It would be better. Look at that. Just... That's awesome. That's awesome stuff right there.
1: But wouldn't it be better if he didn't have it? Well, like Oh yeah. Just, no, I mean this is just, just
0: ridiculous. This is It's just too unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, this is good for kids, but like look at all this destruction and you know, and all these uh these human lives lost. This is kid stuff. Let's just get rid of the breath and put some babies in it.
1: Or well, we just got to feed him a lot of fish. Yeah. Well, that is a lot of fish um like look at but, like, I mean, look like, at this
0: look at this this is all great and the, even the
1: glowing like gets there and again works so well from a black and white film perspective oh this is just they they don't in this film especially they do not shy away from people like dying right there essentially that the that the atomic breath like went down and people people fell to the ground but you gotta like the thing about it will is that i i, I was gonna mention this a little bit earlier in terms of that debate but like if if a giant creature like Godzilla like did appear in our world like it would shake the very foundation of everything we know about our 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 world and evolution and and all that sort of stuff so you definitely would get someone who's like well I want to kind of see you know take a DNA sample or something or or we got to see like what 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 it kind of is you know And, and again I think that there that does that curiosity of science is a very big part of sort of what kind of Godzilla is all about and how Godzilla comes to be uh is, is the curiosity of science gone wrong in many ways. But you're but also you're completely right. This is just absolute classic um destruction sequences. And <laughs> that, again that, that
0: little uh, these little trucks, these may be the little dated elements. <laughs> yeah, the, the sort of stop mo- people. yeah.
1: The, sto- the, sto- the stop the stop motion element of yeah, it. Yeah. yeah that, but hilarious. you really get the sense of just how much of a destructive force Godzilla is here. And again, we we get to see that's actually not that far away from a shot from 20,000 uh, Beasts from 20,000 yeah. Fathoms, uh, which is very interesting. But again, you see people like, you know, having to. That's actually all that's very similar to Beasts of 20,000 Fathoms. It's very interesting. Um, but again, not shying away from people, people dying and not shying away from this destruction. Mm This is an absolute classic. This is like a classic shot right here of just Godzilla yeah. with the fire behind him. Uh, I, I used that in a 290 once, Will.
0: Yes. For
1: people, those of you who don't know, 290s two, people...
0: two, two are film projects uh, from uh, film school.
1: Yeah, I was about to say not many people listening know what that is, that's but like I that, used that, this that's shot a, once.
0: It's an obscure reference. Yeah, this is all just great stuff technically. just all works
1: it is interesting going back to sort of this godzilla suit though where it really does sort of have a very sort of more more kind of dinosaur animalistic kind of rougher around the edges look to it whereas so once you get to like king kong versus godzilla and they sort of the suit just kind of gets more, not necessarily like a cartoony look, but it kind of just it gets tightened up from a from a design standpoint. Oh yeah,
0: no Godzilla suit has ever quite looked like this one, which is good, and not because like I think that you know this film or anything about it is untouchable. It's just kind of like you know it, it is kind of nice to you know th- that is an element that is. 100% always going to be a product of its time, that, like, this Godzilla film is always going to have this, like, strangely, like, unique um, Godzilla that, you know, has never been quite as well replicated. And, you know, I'm talking about somebody where the he- the Hasey he- Godzilla is my favorite design of Godzilla, but, you know, you know, there there's a lot of, like, you know th- this is the original Godzilla, so like everything is kind of like a interpretation of what this guy looks like, mm-hmm. Um and in some ways, it's not even the most interesting oh, like, version. Just look of at this, look yeah, at this. It's all good. This so. is
1: this is incredible filmmaking. Yeah. Like it's really like what Honda does here to tell this story. It really is like incredible filmmaking,
0: and it's also this is the set piece of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, it is funny, like, because, you know, where the franchise goes, it's not multiple, I believe this is it, I, I, I don't think, like, unless I'm completely blanking, there's, it's not like multiple destruction scenes, it's just kind of like one, like, yeah, here we go, here we go, this is where the movie plays for keeps. Yeah now we're getting into, it's not just atomic breaths, it's our feet, it's like he's actually knocking over buildings, his tail is flailing, like it's, um, but it's basically established as just one long terrible night. Mm -hmm. Like I love stuff like that.
1: Oh my God. This is so tragic and
0: so sad.
1: Yeah, and, and and just immediately on on a camera zoom, just showcasing an, a mother telling a daughter we're going to see daddy soon. And,
0: and and to be fair, like and 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 this is that Which, video I was that analysis I was talking about earlier. Like um, like Shin doesn't have any type of moment like that. Yeah, um, it's true. and and so it, it's definitely an interesting um thing to point out.
1: And it's also something that's very realistic in, 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 in a scenario like this, like if this was a hurricane, if this was a tornado, um, if this was a tsunami, that that moment could, could really conceivably and probably has happened. And that's the real beauty and tragedy of, uh, of this movie. This is our, our first true sort of reporter character um, showcasing the destruction of the city. This is real, a story of the century.
0: It also just makes me think about when they do the American um, re-edit of this movie and adding the Steve Martin character. It is it is actually an interesting way of doing it with the, um, you know, by kind of having him be the guy who's witnessing this. It's an interesting take, yeah, I, I think, because it doesn't necessarily you avoid kind of like you know like oh like white hero guy that you're adding into a movie. It's just like you know he's going in and documenting this like horrific event, and you're not mm-hmm. and and you're not um, taking away anything from the actual events taking place. It 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 was a very interesting angle. I always thought, and, and a very easy way to
1: like re-edit the movie without being so intrusive into you know trying to like re-edit like scenes like you know with with those other characters in a sense like you really it just was someone observing the movie as it was happening
0: it it reminds me a little bit about that was that that great wall movie with matt damon where like Mm -hmm. the controversy was like oh it's like a white guy in this asian production but it was actually an asian production who You actually wanted, like, an American star in there, and when you watch the movie, it really is just Matt Damon is in this otherwise just (laughs) Asian movie, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) where, like, you know, it's really not, he's not, like, the most important guy on the block. It's funny stuff. You also got to love still being able to see the strings on some of this stuff, (laughs) too. (laughs) When you see the tail sometimes, you just, you catch it. Love it. He's about to give that building a great I mean, that's, big hug.
1: That's the magic of some of this filmmaking, Will. Especially just from this early on, you know, in 54. When, when you know, especially we talked about how many times over the course of the series, you know, they fl- even with this one, they flirted with stop motion all of King Kong, and it just was too expensive. And so this, those are sort of some of the other things you have to really do when you're not using sort of that stop motion where you do kind of have that freedom to just put a stop motion claymation figure on a set and do what you need to do with it this reporter is dedicated to his job he's literally like like he's literally like this is uh this is the end everybody this, like, is, this gonna... is
0: this is back when we had real journalism in this world nick hey People who but literally I, would get he, eaten by a, a giant fire, nuclear-breathing monster. That would also be really crazy if you're
1: listening to the radio. Be like, "All right, everybody, well, I'm about to die. So, <laughs> see ya,
0: see ya, real soon." Dude, that would be terrifying. That would be so scary. You're just listening to this live feed, and this guy is like, "It's coming towards me." Like, well, especially because he's so like
1: joy, like he looks so joyful about. it. He's like, "This is the end, everybody." Looks like this is the end.
0: He's uh, he's what power he has. Like, he's still, like... I don't know. Well, Maybe is, we need to get a story about that guy. Maybe this was, like, the story of the century. So maybe he is, like, happy. Maybe he's lived this life of, like, if this is, like, how I go, this is what I've... This is what I went to journalism school for. This is always... This is actually one of my favorite bits of, like, the suit interacting with practical elements, like this yeah. bridge and everything.
1: And even just that that human uh, character earlier just being like, damned beast. And, and, and sort of the, that's all you can say and the helplessness you feel here where there is nothing you can do while you're watching this.
0: Planes. <laughs> Well, they've tried by sea, by earth, now by air.
1: But what if those planes were from the Cars universe,
0: Will? Then they would have eyes on the cockpit, and the (laughs) pilots would not be able to see out of them. And Dane Cook would be voicing one of them.
1: Remember Dane Cook?
0: Oh, yeah. He was in uh, the Ryan Reynolds vehicle waiting.
1: just a classic again the the march here uh just really plays like like the bond theme it just it just fits because it, it fits here and it fit when they were doing like the preparations it really just it, it really enhances both scenes um to an extent in the first of many just barrages on Godzilla, just just trying all you can, shooting an infinite amount of missiles that these planes have. And again, the be- the the muse the beauty of the sea. And, and sort of again, we see something that we eventually see in in, in twenty fourteen where, sort of the destruction of Godzilla is only followed by kind of the calmness of the sea that he can just disappear and and, and it's just as if nothing nothing was there he is gone he is one with the earth back again and you can all, I mean yeah, yeah you could just in, immediately equate this To Hiroshima and Nagasaki just it's an immediate sort of visual horror that I'm sure many people in Japan you know had to actually endure and witness and I think this right here we're getting to the really what makes this film sort of an incredible piece of work is this sort of reflection on everything that we we get to start seeing here in, in terms of the, the real effect that the that Godzilla has had on on a society and, and just the quiet sort of the quiet tragedy of it all it, it really just yeah, you, nev- he-
0: you, you, you never think like now when you get into like the Godzilla as a hero thing, you never quite remember that the fact that like, yeah, there's a moment where uh, basically the lesson of this film is that Godzilla makes orphans. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how dark it gets.
1: Mm-hmm. But, and again, it's a really a film that I think it's a moment that in many ways, you know, not like all the films have, but many films in the Godzilla franchise or, or offshoots of the Godzilla franchise have tried to replicate stuff like this. But it's just the way that this story is told, it, it just it just has such a profound impact on the audience. Yeah,
0: I mean, I know, like, you know, we are definitely a broken record on this point, but I really feel like if you don't know too much about Godzilla and like... Y- y- and and fairly so, your your knowledge of it would be kind of, like, more of, like, the more, um, uh, you know, the more outlandish stuff that Godzilla has become known for. You would just be, I think you would be, like, genuinely surprised about how much this film plays for keeps. <laughs> it really does. Mm-hmm. Here we go. We find out what happens to the the oxygen destroyer.
1: This reminds me that it's one of those things where the the oxygen destroyer obviously is very connected to this film. But like the few times that we've sort of it's a reappearances it's brief reappearances over the course of of the godzilla history it's always kind of fun to reflect on on even this becomes an element of the film that can be referenced
0: yeah no it's a fun thing that appears every now and then i think she may be overreacting a little bit though She just really likes fish. Yeah, but, like, I mean, if I saw that, I would be like, whoa, what the hell? But I don't know if I'd be like, oh, how how could this be? That being said, despite that, like, it does illustrate that, oh, you thought the H-bomb was bad?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can get, you know possibly even worse. This
0: is a thing that literally can disintegrate the the meat off of your bones within seconds.
1: And again, we're getting here to again that other aspect of science, right? Like he does the initial creation of an oxygen destroyer was just from the curiosity and the scientific, the basic scientific, you know, search for knowledge. And then he looks at this thing and and just says, I reacted in horror and and what I created, which, of course, is something we know is, you know, that, you know, Oppenheimer and and, uh, some of those original people on the Manhattan Project said about the H-bomb was like, you know, when they reflected on it, what they had created, you know, there was sort of this horror of just like, what have we done element? You know, I am I am the destroyer of worlds.
0: And it's also like the other thing, too, is like, what other use for an oxygen destroyer is there really? Right. But
1: again, it's just, again, there's just, there's a blinder to sort of the the thirst for knowledge and what science does that, you know, you really don't think about what the hell an oxygen destroyer could really do until you see it do something. Just like, you know, in, in theory, like the H-bomb is something that like you kind of have the theories of like, this is possible, this could win us the war, yada, yada, yada. And then when you see it in action, there's such a like, what have I unleashed, right? Like, you know, we would be talking about something very different if that bat bomb idea, you know, had gotten through. But, you know, the, the scientists went through the H-bomb. And that's what, you know, affected not just Japan, but really the course of human history. And and even goes into eventually, you know, sort of the creation of Bond and and sort of the, the Cold War that comes, you know, even from that perspective.
0: Well, are we saying that uh that that uh the tragedy of the bomb not only created godzilla but also james bond
1: <laughs> i mean it it does lead to it for better or for worse it leads to the the stuff that would lead to the bond you know stories and, and the way that the bond stories were told
0: one thing i did want to bring up is that i did just like from a plot point uh is that just from a plot perspective is that you know, Sarazawa's whole thing is like, you know, he's determined not to, uh, to unveil this until he finds a, uh, a use for it that benefits humanity. And where the story ultimately goes is that there is a role for it, that it will be able to destroy Godzilla. Like that is the way that it would benefit humanity. And still there is this, this air of like, yeah, but even with its place in the world, it it still can't get out. And it's, it's, Right, you it, know we'll get all... to that point in the movie when we get there, but that is where it goes, yeah it's very very very, very true, so anyway, I, I do want to go just real quick back to this point about the fact that they reused the Sarazawa name for the 2014 film like like what what where do you, what do you think that speaks to the legacy of the franchise and the name of them reutilizing that in a different context? I think it just speaks to the 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 length that this
1: movie goes to, especially in terms of especially from a filmmaking perspective. And I think that, you know, the Garrett Edwards and the and the Dohertys of the world, like there's a real respect for this movie. And I think that, you know, sort of honoring you know one element of it through the the reuse of the name sarozawa i think is something that you know filmmakers like to do um you know and, and like you know I, I think also giving it to a major character though just you know even though he has like a different uh it just uh, it gives for the filmmakers it just gives sort of okay this this is an important name an important character and I, i'm i'm happy to continue on this legacy uh i think that's just a main part of it is that they're happy to be involved and be continuing this legacy and the reuse of the name Sarazawa is a reflection on on that part of the filmmaking.
0: I think for me, I think the the name Sarazawa and like the re um, the reuse of it for the modern day, even in a different context, you know, they're both characters that have earned this role of being able to, you know change the tide and you know give them you know give themselves up to this greater power in a way and then I'm kind of spitballing here because I I'm actually have always really struggled with like you know where how what exactly does it mean for the both of these characters to have the same name and while they're coming from two completely different contexts like you know both of these characters have scars of their past like the 2014 zarazawa like openly talks about that you know the his family legacy and living through like the uh living through the original bomb and then also there's other pieces of his history that may have gone unsaid but clearly he has like a deep respect for that you know there's some atonement and forgiveness that man needs to give for um you know the scars inflicted upon them. So, you know, there's a very like wounded, um, respect. There's, there's a, there's a wounded nature and respect that ultimately leads the character, um, to having the right to do what they do ultimately in the film. And then if you go back to this original Sarazawa, Zawa, it's this character who is just living with the weight of not only his own creation, but with whatever other history that he has based off what we were talking about, like with his eye patch, who knows what this guy has been through, but um you know he's able to kind of take all of that pain i guess and has earned the right to like you know um you know
1: and play a both, role and i mean obviously it goes into what what they do with sarazawa in king of the monsters but they you know again they are both characters who and this is getting ahead in this film but they they really sacrifice themselves for the emotions and the uh, thoughts that they believe in, even though they are on different sides, you know, this Sarazawa to destroy Godzilla and, and the other Sarazawa to save Godzilla, um, and ultimately
0: for the salvation of the human race going forward.
1: Right. right. But, but in, into the, yeah, right, into that same realm of the, the greater good of humanity, uh, they both sort of had enough of that passion and emotion within them to make that self-sacrifice.
0: Yeah. And, and and while also exercising whatever demons and wounds that they have, I guess is what I'm trying to get at.
1: We human beings are weak creatures. I should mention that out. Um right, like he's mm-hmm. this is to him it's just like it's just the base knowledge of this is too dangerous.
0: Well, that's what I mean. It's like even his whole like, well, we're going to find like a good use for it. Like, it's funny that even when a good use comes up, he just still can't quite believe that it it, it would be, that humanity would go down that path ultimately.
1: And, but uh, yeah, you're you're very much right uh, on that respect. Um, Just that his whole thing is just, what he was just saying is that just one reveal of it, you know, one showcase of what it actually does, is, you know, too much. And I think like there's, I forget which other Godzilla film plays with that. But when like the there's like the rediscovery of the oxygen destroyer idea or something like that, and um, I think it, it probably was not a Millennium film. I I can't kind of remember. Forget. But there that even that film they they play to that strength. Now I do want to talk about this. I think this scene is what puts this movie over the top as, like, one of the great movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this scene with the, the prayer scene, the prayer song, and, and the reflection on uh, the, the, the wounded and the dead, I just think really just speaks to a really higher emotion and and really showcases Honda's emotion about all this. Like, this in and of itself... It's just powerful imagery, uh, in relation to Godzilla, in relation to its meaning with again with the H bomb and everything like that. This scene is just it's incredible. Like, and I I can't speak highly enough of this scene by itself. Has kept this movie at the top of my Godzilla list all this time. Like this scene, I am
0: to this day just enamored with and well, impressed. It, but also, like if you re rewatching the film, like. And maybe I would even have to rewatch it again to kind of like really parallel the scenes with each other. But this film, you know, it, towards the beginning on the island with all the fishermen, you know, it began with, you know, kind of like a somewhat of a, you know, a ritualistic, you know, um, uh, native custom, like uh, religious celebration, like, you know, to, you know, That reflects, like you know, what's going on with the plight of all these people, and then it kind of takes this turn into a more modern, uh, bigger and more somber version of that. So that's kind of like the through line that this film is going with. And even
1: um, that cut straight to, um, from that straight to Sarazawa is is incredible. Um, and just in terms of Sarazawa's own
0: um pain and reflection on on what he's being asked to do you know it's interesting because one of the things when people connect the two characters the two Sarazawas is that there's a little bit of um there was a bit of a criticism that they felt like that the 2014 Sarazawa in that the film was ultimately glorifying the use of the the nuclear weaponry um and, you know, how did that fit into the Godzilla lore of, you know, that being like a, you know, a, a more negative metaphor. So it's like kind of weird to put it in a positive light. There, a part of that I disagree with. I think that there's some details of the film that kind of don't quite match up with that reading of it. But I, I can kind of understand where people are coming from. But when you rewatch this film, ultimately, Sarazawa is siding with like, okay, we're going to use the weapon. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like now there's some details about that, like kind of like make it more nuanced, but ultimately the choice is, yes, we are going to use this thing that I think is dangerous, uh, in the best possible way. Like, so it's like both sides are relenting to the fact that for better or for worse, this mighty power has a role. And in fact, like I think in the, in the newer film, the newer Sarazawa, it is more of a, like you know a making peace with the fact that like all these immense powers are beyond your control and with this sarazawa it's more of a reluctant yes this is just part of the cycle now and you know i'm going to do my part to maybe curb that a little bit but at the end of the day we we still have to use this for the betterment of mankind mm-hmm. and you know and and, it, and it's the point and you know as we're kind of heading into the ending of it this movie is kind of making a definitive statement, I think, of where it stands on on the subject matter. Is that th- it understands that there is an actual practical use for better or for worse of this type of power, and maybe at the end of the day, it should be used. But it's probably better that it would just the origins of it would just die with the act as well. Like it, it I mean, it is making be- that definitive statement, I think.
1: You can even compare, and I, I don't know if this was on Honda's mind, but you can really distinctly compare Sarazawa's debate over the use of it with you know Hoover, um, the original debate about using the H bombs on Japan, which which was documented as being like a, you know a, for for obvious reasons an incredibly tough decision that was weighing on using this horrifying power for essentially an instant win in in the war against japan or sort of the more drawn out like battle of the pacific that would have cost many more lives and that's the exact debate that sarah has here where it's like the power that this possesses could you know cause long-term destruction its very existence would be you know a detriment to humanity but if i don't use it then you know who knows what this godzilla creature will continually do and mm-hmm. it it is one of the things about that type of power, and I think that's what you're getting at is that, you know, in this theory and in practicality, especially in this film, there is a use, but you know, there's there's a careful nature to how much you use that power.
0: Also, you gotta just give a shout out to the actual production design and the and the prop of the oxygen destroyer. It's just like such like a instant classic looking prop.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And it's it's interesting to know, too, like, what, you know, how Sarazawa actually truly, you know, guarantees, you know, we get that coming up, that he guarantees that the Oxygen Destroyer won't live to see another day, is, you know, his sacrifice in in getting rid of himself and and taking himself out of the equation, Um, which, again, is also what you were saying earlier is just it's the ideal in the ideal world is that we could use this power for its benefit but then immediately like um you know the the, the idea the the base of it would just fade away through history and, and Sarazawa here you know works to ensure of that possibility The score here is also very interesting too, um, and 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 it's really because like with with Ifeakuve, um, you're, you you st- you really do get like the larger marches and the themes are kind of what he's more used uh, you 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 that he's more known for like even in, in his other you know whatever other work we might have seen him in, you know, but like here he really does get to play with a much more emotional score.
0: Well, um, I think he also talks about the fact that it. it when he did the death of Godzilla in um, Godzilla versus Destroya, that it, it it's a slight offshoot of the type of tone that he's going with in, in this scene. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it is interesting that you know the similar thing is on his mind. I also one of the things I do like about this scene is that this isn't like a third act like battle the monster scene like it really is just sneaking up on godzilla who's just kind of like lounging in the bottom of the ocean it's just kind of an interesting like way to frame the third act
1: also that eye patch still looks great even behind the uh the scuba helmet and and that shot of godzilla like there's i love sort of again can't tell you if it was intentional or unintentional with the, with underwater shooting especially the kind of the budget that Honda would have in, in kind of trying to do this underwater shooting stuff. Um, But the, the fogginess of the depth and the way that they shoot Godzilla through that, through that fogginess, obviously there's a real mix of like actual diving and, 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 dry for wet stuff. But there, there's a real sense of, again, sort of this, the unknown here that, you know, and whether this will work and, and sort of how that, the fogginess of the depths, and, and relating that to even Godzilla's existence and his ability to exist underwater and his ability to disappear, you know, it all kind of relates back into just the big, really interesting pot of ideas. Just get get caught up in the movie again, you know, mm, yeah. like it really is like a movie that th- th- to your point, it's like it isn't like the big, you know, Godzilla versus Gigan or, or Godzilla versus Megalon, like big, you know, third act battle, you know, that we're we, that we come to witness in the Godzilla movies. It's a very, you know, again, there's a very human element to this already where, you know. it's a a do or die situation for these two to make sure that, that Godzilla stops its destruction. Again, while also really still considering, even from a filmmaking's perspective, the power that they hold. And here's Sarazella about to make his big sacrifice. And, and 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 him uh even with again that performance is just so striking uh even in that where he he knows the big decision he's about to make. Um but he, he's so Sure of himself in that moment, um, where yes, he will die and he will will go off to you know for the better of humanity, and there's always that kind of fear of, of, of that death, but he's so sure that that is the right decision for himself,
0: yeah. It really, really does just make me want to kind of dive in more into this, really, this, um, this two sides of the same coin nature that the two Sarazawa's are because. You know, when you watch this, it's it's just as kind of like narratively and emotionally effective as the Sarazawa death is in the King of the Monsters film. So it's like, but for completely different, but also kind of similar reasons. So Mm -hmm. uh, that would be definitely something I would love to dive into or like see somebody dive into.
1: The the, the Godzilla dies
0: a horrifying death, never to be seen again. Mm -hmm. Hope nobody takes those bones and makes a robot out of it. That would be... (laughs) <laughs> and that would uh that would make this all for not.
1: but it, i mean also it is kind of again if there is the major difference that our two franchises have is that you know when we're looking at dr no when we looked at that movie there's obviously like yes it's its own thing but we know that there's kind of an obvious setup for a franchise that that's what they have in mind And even we talked about like kind of the debate we had about whether them name-dropping Spectre was part of that. Whereas here, this is very clearly like Honda is just making a singular movie uh, and and sort of really laying all the emotion on that table. And it's interesting to see that this is a movie that that spawned the franchise that it did. And, And that's one of the really interesting things of reflecting on this movie now that we've seen all the films is that this movie does spawn dozens of new monsters and crazy moments and aliens and... And you know, Latchkey kids and and Jet Jaguars and and, and 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 you know, all this sort of stuff that comes just from this movie, and that's part of its legacy. Is is maybe not directly leading up to those movies as as you know as a direct follow up to this, but presenting an idea that's so interesting and imaginative and, and creative inducing that you kind of have to come back to it
0: mm-hmm. and then another part of the legacy an ongoing gag just like with bond's hat this is the bond the throwing the bond's hat <laughs> or the or probably maybe something even a little bit even more well known but the whole if if we must we must learn from our use of nuclear weapons to avoid such a catastrophe
1: right it works very well in this movie it doesn't work well in ibira when none of the when none of the movie was about nuclear weapons and they just dropped it at the end that might be one of the most egregious uses of it i would say but this movie it works very well and again just like with 2014, is an interesting parallel. We end on the calm ocean. Obviously, again, different contexts, but we end on the calm ocean, mm-hmm. and again, we live to fight another day.
0: All right, and that is Godzilla, 1954 Gojira. All right, so let's. Uh, let, how about some final thoughts, uh, talking uh, talking about this. Um, Nick, you want to you want to start? I mean, you, you gave kind of a, a pretty stellar wrap up already with like where this goes in the future. So, if you have anything you want to add on to that,
1: yeah. Um, well, I said at the beginning that I was interested to see if this remains on top, and really, it, it like it really showcased like why it has that legacy and 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 just it's so good. It really is just so good um it's just from an emotional perspective and i think that that's really what puts this movie near the top is just the emotion that this movie has yes there are godzilla films in the future that i may have more fun with like i you know i talk about you know my love for like the godoras of the world and the moth you know the 92 mothers of the world but really when you showcase like this and shin of just the emotion that they feel and 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 really you know kind of you pointing out the you know through that other um you know the dissection of the film that you talked about the the on the ground the 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 look at the the effect on like the working class and 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 the common people and just again those scenes like going through sort of the the shelters and the prayer scene and just that a that destruction sequence of godzilla in and of itself is so emo- emotional emotional that it really just, it stands to reason that this remains at the top. And this is just, this is just an incredible film. Like this is the film to showcase to people, like the, like the people who want to study film, because I think that this really showcases sort of that emotional quality that I think just makes cinema such an interesting piece uh, of media. Uh, it's just, a, and 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 it's just really interesting, again, to just see, That this is the movie that spawned like all those other films that you go from this, like to imagine like you do, you watch this and then you watch Final Wars right after that, right? And it just, how much happens in between those two movies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is just fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot that I really would like to get into, and some of it I actually may say for our final episode. But the one thing I will say real quick, succinctly, is that, you know, the one thing that stands out more so to me that we've always mentioned about, we've beaten this like a dead horse with the Godzilla franchises, but I think for good reason— metaphor 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 i i think that it's very easy and sometimes eye-rolling to say that godzilla is a metaphor but when you really watch the film it it really is is that everything in this film is a powerful stand-in for something else and the storytelling supports that but you know, every every step of the way, every character, every conversation is some sort of real-world parallel for something. And if there's one thing that I can think that really stems from this Godzilla onto it becoming the franchise that it is to this day, is that. I, I think that one of the reasons it has been able to... The, the, the DNA, really, if anything, with the Godzilla is that Godzilla has always kind of been like this... kind of... Um, this either very pointed or vague stand in for something else. And maybe some of those examples I'll get into more so in that final episode, but it it is the reason why I think that it has lasted so long. You know, I think it's, you know, there's been a bunch of giant lizards, but why does this giant lizard resonate with so many people? And I think because it started on such a personal, intimate, horrific note that, it has kind of carried on to basically just latching on to uh, people's sensibilities and also representing something else and even if it's just something as vague as Godzilla slowly becoming a hero for humanity like you know the fact that he has gone from like humanity's worst enemy to this arc to hero of humanity there is there is that personal connection like there is a little bit of like he is a little bit more of a monster He's he is Is kind of part of the family of Earth, if that makes sense. (laughs) Like, you know, they like he is part of the ecosystem in a way. And some films that we have watched, even like as such as the legendary films, quite literally bring that, uh, bring that kind of element to life. So I think that was the thing that stood out to me the most about this film, just about how much of a commentary it is. And I think that has led to why Godzilla has been such a long-lasting franchise even if it's subconsciously um so that's the big thing and then and then as for the film itself i mean the filmmaking is just impeccable when you when you th- watch the I film th-
1: like, i think that's another thing that leads into the franchise element of it it's just the filmmaking especially on the destruction and the Godzilla scenes themselves again just present an almost insatiable like just need for more and i think it comes to like when honda starts doing more with rodan and mothra and then once they get that ability to do you know and obviously raids again happens as well but once you get to like king kong and you need an opponent for him and it's just like this the filmmaking and, and just that visual of godzilla is just so distinct and so memorable and so impressive in terms of honda's filmmaking that i think that uh, that also just easily leads to the rest of the toho canon and the rest of the godzilla canon
0: yeah I mean just like the the use of the the suit the use of cinematography in it like it's very telling it's a movie that is not a flashy sci-fi film like it's main it really like when we watch it like it has a brief set piece with Godzilla coming to shore with the train but ultimately there's only one giant big set piece and then up and and then after that's done um it's quite a bit until Godzilla shows up and it's not until the end and that's not a big action set piece that's just like. You know they're kind of like you know sneaking up on him, um, so like just the filmmaking, the cinematography is great, the visual effects are great, and and the iconography is also great. I mean, the, he, he, Honda just made a dark movie. I, I think that's the biggest thing that I'm always taken aback by when I watch it. It's a dark, dark film in a way that very few of the Godzilla films end up being. I actually think maybe the only one that you can say is as dark as maybe shin um you know some movies like gmk try to get there but there's still too much of a tongue-in-cheek nature in it that kind of brushes up against it in a weird way for me but it really remains that this is the dark godzilla film that you know you're you're hesitant to revisit you almost are fine that this is the one like this mm-hmm. this is the one that now you can you can stem out of this and have more fun with, um, because regardless, like the closest being Shin, but none of the other films have c- kind of gotten quite as close to um, tapping into the same uh, the same energy that Honda does with this film.
1: Right. And again, it's like it can't be it can't be stated enough that like that darkness that Honda gives this movie is very much. From that emotion that comes from that what Japan had just experienced over the past decade, and you know, and again, like you, you don't make a movie like this if you don't have that emotion and those thoughts and and that reflection
0: on that period of Japan's history still burning within yeah, you. And more so than anything, it really is a movie that not only has something to say; it's not just the metaphor, but it makes, like I said a little bit earlier makes a definitive statement on where where it's feeling emotionally like you know it's it doesn't like i say it it, it's not targeted in terms of like you know saying like oh like you know america and things like that it doesn't quite get into that it's more of a kind of talking globally in a way and like i said it kind of lands on this notion of like you know the entire movie is a tragedy and even the lesson at the end is a tragedy the fact that like this destructive force ultimately has a role um and that's kind of the unfortunate thing is like that there is a role for this destructive force and you know maybe it's up to individual humanity of like how to deal with it as carefully as possible and the solution isn't perfect. And even at the end they say like, well, we must learn from this. It's not like, you know, you don't end the film thinking that all the world's problems are solved. And that's kind of like what they, what they leave you. That's the note they leave you off with.
1: The movie doesn't have a happy ending. They defeated Godzilla, but the, the, the true future of humanity is, is at an unknown place. Mm -hmm. Um, especially with, with again, stuff like the oxygen destroyer, even though Sarazawa died with the knowledge of it. Um, it's something that that stuff will continue to be made, whether it's an actual literal oxygen destroyer or more bombs or more you know more destruction or what have you. like the, the the continuing you know self-fulfilling prophecy of destruction that humanity gives itself will continue on and it's up to humanity to kind of
0: escape that cycle. It's also interesting though, like as the franchise goes on, they make it the metaphor even more, literal by making it literally that godzilla is created by the bomb mm-hmm. whereas like when you watch this it's more of like oh it's like awakened and um so it, it is interesting that they make it even more literal as the franchise goes on
1: and that the you know even though like uh and even that they also have it where you know certain films like uh godora i think is one of them where there's like the, the media questions like Will you use the H-bomb on Godzilla? And there's a distinct, like, no, we're not going to use the H-bomb. Right, right, you know? it, right. Yeah. They, there's that element of it, too, where, like, yeah, Godzilla was created by the H-bomb, but we're also not dumb enough to try to use it again mm-hmm. and unleash
0: that power again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, again, I, I I think this was uh, this was a, a remarkable revisit. I had such a fun time uh, revisiting this one, and uh, and I think another successful commentary from the Bonzilla podcast. What what do you think?
1: I would agree, and you know these are the two for now. Can't guarantee there will be ever any of these again, but. You know these are fun and I definitely whether it's even by myself or with you again I definitely would be interested in doing more commentaries in the future well absolutely Possibly, well maybe.
0: luckily the uh, listeners of the Bonzilla podcast will be treated to another episode of bonzilla content specifically uh, um, all of our listeners can enjoy what will be the final episode of Bonzilla podcast you know before it becomes bonzilla presents in the new year but uh it, it, i'm very excited to talk about it uh it'll be a final episode that basically is going to be the season f- so like you know the caesar caesar king caesar finale the the series the series finale of us just really um summizing everything that we that we've talked about everything that we've learned and uh you know what our feelings of the franchises are and uh it, you know i'm uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it but not not quite yet we still need to record the show but you, everybody can look forward uh to that episode um i think it's slated uh right before uh right before christmas so a little pre-holiday gift to everybody so i hope all of you enjoy that i'm looking forward to that one me too yeah all right well um nick is, is that it is there anything you have to say i think we we we've said quite a lot about about this movie okay all right we're done i'm done did you plug on the last one
1: i don't think i did maybe i did mm-hmm. yeah i did i think yeah i don't well, know why don't you quick. why don't
0: you just plug for us
1: dot com. Twitter.com slash Bonzilla 007. Again, we would love to hear your thoughts on how the Bonzilla podcast affected you and favorite episodes, favorite moments. Uh, feel free to let us know. Uh, Facebook.com slash Bonzilla 007. Twitter, uh, I already did Twitter. SoundCloud.com slash Bonzilla 007. Like and
0: subscribe. iTunes and SoundCloud. Awesome. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed um, this uh, this commentary. And until next time, bye bye See ya.